All right, welcome everyone to a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro Podcast. I am your host, Toby Passman. On the show with me today, we have a special guest, Kevin McCarney. Kevin spent several decades managing customer and employee relations across a wide range of industries and organizations. He's been a guest speaker at the USC Marshall School of Business, the UCLA Anderson School of Business, along with many others. A successful entrepreneur, speaker, mentor, husband, and father, Kevin has served on the board of directors of the California State Compensation Insurance Fund, the California Restaurant Association, the Burbank Arts and Education Foundation, the Boys and Girls Club of Burbank, and the Universal City North Hollywood Chamber of Commerce. And he recently came out with a book entitled Big Brain, Little Brain, How to Control Which One Speaks for You. And the book is an observational street psychology book, which we're going to get into today. So Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you, Toby. I really appreciate being here. Awesome. Well, let's get into, tell me, tell me the inspiration behind the book. When, when did you have the idea that you wanted to write this book and, and kind of what went into it? Uh, I've been in the uh, customer service business most of my life. I've uh, been in uh, the people business all my life. And uh, I noticed different patterns uh, from the time I was um, uh, a kid in a big family of, of nine people, the different ways my brothers would communicate, my sisters would communicate, the different, and when I got into the workforce, the different way customers would communicate, the way coworkers would communicate. And I noticed, and I was working at the Grommage Chinese Theater uh, at, at the front door in the, in the, in the early seventies. And so I got a chance to observe a lot, large crowds and the way people interacted. And from there I went on to Universal Studios as a tour guide. Um, and it was a really nice job to have, but I noticed because I'm speaking with people all the time and I'm, I'm listening to them. And I, I noticed so uh, uh, this, this pattern of how even in the break room, things would escalate, you know, between, uh, uh tour guides, there would be a conversation going and you, I could even tell when it was going to escalate and when it was going to go bad because it was reminded me of my brothers and my sisters when, when I was young. So I could, I could get, I started recognizing this pattern of, oh, I can tell where that's going to go. And, and it was really a lot had to do with the tone of voice was a, one of the first indicators. And, you know, I thought I knew everything about communicating and talking. And um, I was on a, a really hot day at Universal Studios. Trams were breaking down, three hour wait for the people. Tour guides were sitting in a nice, comfortable air conditioned room. I get a call on the loudspeaker, Kevin. Tram on the right. It's a big group from Europe. They're really angry uh, and uh, good luck. Uh, so I went out in that three cars to tram. I'm trying to say hello to people. They've got their arms crossed, they're folded. They're not looking at me. They're just upset. I get to my, my seat and the, the head of the tour group grabs my arm and says, stop this, take us right to our bus. We don't want to do this anymore. Get us out of here. And I looked at him and I said, you know, you're going to have a good time please just sit down because we're going to start moving right now. And the driver heard me and he started moving the tram right away. So the guy sat down and says, okay, fine. Well, I'm going to sit here, but I am not going to have a good time. None of us are going to have a good time. Nothing you say is going to make us have a good time. And um, I said, okay. Um, and, and I just started thinking, you know, my snarky 19 year old 
uh, wanted to kick in and say, fine, I've got the microphone. You're with me for an hour and a half. So I was thinking, I'm just going to give the worst tour I possibly can. Then in the front row of the second car, I noticed a family from the Midwest had gotten stuck with this group from France. And they had big red t-shirts on for the football team that they supported there. And they had huge smiles on their face. They were so happy that the tram was moving. Oh my gosh, it was going. And I looked at them and I went, in a split second, I went from being the snarky 19 year old that wanted to get back at these people uh, uh, in the group for yelling at me to, I have got to please these four people in the front of the row, that second car, because they're here to have a good time. And so that's what I did. And I honestly didn't know I had that in me. I didn't know I could switch that quickly from being upset and, and, and wanting to get back at these people to somebody who wanted to take care of these this people. And the amazing thing happened. While I was giving the tour to these four people, everybody else in the group came along and they started enjoying the tour like these four people, except for the leader, he still was a little grumpy. But what I noticed is by ignoring all the negativity around me, by ignoring the, the people who were upset and angry, and I focused only on those people that wanted to be there, uh, everybody else came along and at the end, there was a round of applause that I certainly did not expect. And they, they wouldn't stop thanking me at the end of the tour. And, and as I got off, and we, we typically do and say uh, goodbye to the people, uh, I could see the family from the Midwest was waiting to speak to me. And I also could see in the very last car of the very last tram, one of my supervisors getting off the tram. Uh, he, this was a tour where I was being um, audited. You know, they audit you to see how you're doing. So imagine if the 19-year-old snarky kid would have won that argument. And the family from the Midwest came up to me and they, I'll never forget this, uh, the father said, you really turned that group around. They were not having a good time. I said, you turned that group around. I got to see your smiles. Your smiles gave me the permission to turn, to completely forget all that and, 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 and give you guys a good tour. I was gonna choose to give a completely different tour. And the mother from the Midwest grabbed my shoulder. And she said, well, this is the only time we're ever gonna be in California. I just want to thank you for choosing to give us that tour because it made our vacation. And it's just as if I got hit in the face, you know, like what is she saying? I had no idea I had that kind of power or impact just with the way I responded to something. And so her words, you chose, stuck with me. And I just have been on a mission ever since to try to figure out how we speak and how we react and, and the impact that it has on our lives. So, and, and that was the beginning of the of the, the book that where I was just taking notes everywhere about these interactions. That was the beginning of the idea of the book. And it sounds like with that case you really you really kind of figured out I guess the power of kind of being able to redirect your attention from from because because both of those the 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 individual who was giving you a hard time along with that that family who was visiting they were both you know there on that bus but what changed it seems like is your focus was all at first, you know, how can I kind of get back at this guy that's giving me a hard time? And then, you know, then, then your brain sort of, you, you were able to sort of redirect that, that attention to, to the family and end up giving a great tour. So it yes. sounds like, 
kind of redirecting attention and focus seems like a, a maybe a big lesson there. Well, it was a, a, a major lesson for me, but the real lesson for me that I didn't understand when she said it's the only time she's ever going to be in California. And what I could have done, I could have destroyed their vision of this uh, great company, great tour. I have a lot, having lots of fun working there. I could have destroyed that for, for this couple just because I wanted to get back. And I think one of the things that I talk about in the book, if there, we get into these get back loops sometimes where we're having a conversation and somebody says something and we say, no, that's not it. And we, and, and we go round and round and, uh, and, and it's not about solving the issue we're talking about. It's just about getting back at, at somebody for saying something. And we, I talk about that a little bit, these get back loops. And it was pretty obvious to me that everywhere in life, we, we have these traps that we can fall into if we're not careful. And, and I know this is, you know, street language when I'm talking about this stuff, but it's really, it really comes down to what is, uh, what's taking over. And from, a, uh, I was never very much into uh, science or neurological stuff, but as I began to give presentations, because I wrote a book in uh, 2011, the original one, and I was giving presentations on the concept of big brain, little brain, because what I delved into was the what's happening inside, what's, what is making me able to choose in a split second, as uh, you pointed, redirect and, and, and change my focus from something that was so negative to something that was actually quite positive. And so I, I, was, I wanted to teach other people how to do this. Um, I went to Universal Studios, I got through there, and then I went into the restaurant industry as a trainer and a corporate trainer. And I noticed that, you know, one of the things in training is you really have to get people to understand what you want them to, to know. And it's not, you can't just tell them what, you have to tell them, you have to infuse why. You have to let them know why this has to be done because then they believe it. And it's, it's every time it, the situation comes up, they'll know why they have to respond in a certain way. And in the restaurant business, you know, the corporate world, a lot of their training was checking boxes. Okay, we're gonna have a training on this, check that box. We're gonna train on this, check that box. But to me, training was more of a, not an event, as much as the event was planting the seed. And then you nurture the, the information that you gave out at that event and to make sure that it sticks and, and, and the people growing with the company grow with that. And, and so as I became a trainer, started doing this, I noticed this, this, again, this pattern established itself where I could see where things were going negative and where they were going positive. So I just kept taking notes on that. It was uh, uh, satisfying for me because I was really trying to help my team deal with different situations. Uh, in the restaurant business, um, we are essentially dealing with people with low blood sugar. You know, by the time they get to us, they're very hungry. Right. So if you mess up that order, it's more than just messing up that order and giving the wrong item. They're physiologically in a state of mind where they're just real. They've been thinking about that burrito or whatever it is for the last two hours and they get there and all of a sudden they get, they got something wrong and they would overreact. So during this time, as I saw this people overreacting as much as they were, I had to teach my team how to deal with people in that, in that frame of mind which was they were, and which I labeled little brain because it's kind of the, uh, I, I label this as sort of the neocortex against the reptilian brain, kind of fighting over the emotions of the limbic system, you know, without getting into too much uh, science of the brain because I really wanted to make it more about the conversational language where, we, where everything starts. 
everything starts with a conversation. And, and so it's the, our ability to manage our, our emotions and, and ourselves in that, in that conversation that, that pushes us forward. And from a customer service standpoint, we're in a different conversation every three to five minutes with somebody. And, and we have to make sure that it's going in the right direction. One of the things we talk about in the, in the book is um, uh, this concept that I was giving a presentation to a business group on a Monday about big brain, little brain, and how to use it in customer service. And then Wednesday, I was given a presentation that I'd been doing this for three years to a group that had been uh, in a professional program coming out. Uh, they were coming out of prison and they were, they were teaching these guys and girls, uh, men and women, uh, culinary skills so they could get a job as a prep cook. And they asked me to come in and train them how to handle the pressure of the kitchen in, in the heat of the moment. And uh, things are going to go wrong in a kitchen. Things will always go wrong in a kitchen at some point. There's a lot of stuff going on. Something's going to happen. So my job was to sort of help them understand that when something goes wrong, uh, it's, it's not like any other environment they've been in. It's not a reaction environment. It's a responding environment. And, and they needed to take some time. And what was fascinating, I noticed the same people in the business group, the same eyes, that some people really understood the concept right away and got it. Others were having difficulty. As the people that were just coming out of prison were doing the same thing, some people really got it right away. And I realized there needed to be a bridge between little brain and big brain. There needed to be something that, or a place where people could go momentarily, and I mean momentarily, so that they didn't let little brain take over and say what it shouldn't say. And uh, so the, the bridge that I created was this thing called neutral, where uh, I call it a portal to the big brain, where if you can't think of what you want to say right away, at least get to neutral. It gives you a, a split second or a little bit of time to sort of pivot, to sort of redirect and, at your point. And, and, and from that point, you can rebalance yourself and say, what's the best thing I should say for this particular moment? What, how do I go? So neutral immediately caught on and, and every group, that's what their, what their favorite uh, tool is, is that, is that and I give them, um, I had to give them something when they went to neutral and just said, just go to neutral, that, that wasn't good enough. So we give them a whole list of different things they can do, uh, neutral words that they can use to signal to themselves, don't, don't let little brain take over here. Don't let little brain get control because if you get like a mnemonic uh, phrase like, okay, uh, some of this comes from my own life where, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the restaurant business myself. I've been in the, uh, opened my own first restaurant 37 years ago. I'm still in the business and unfortunately I'm still in the business. Uh, I mean, very fortunately, and I think it just, we'll see where the next years take us. But I was having a very long day. I came home around eight o'clock at night. I'm, you know, literally been up for 16 hours and I want to go and just relax and, and, and take it off. And I walk in my house and my daughter's high school uh, in show, something called show choir, which I know a lot more about now than I did then. Um, all of a sudden there's 50 kids in my house singing at the top of their lungs. So I, I walk in, I went, okay, what do we got here? Uh, what's going on? And instead of, you know, where sometimes you, you, you get surprised and you say the wrong thing or you, you just go into that, what I call the little brain emotional phrase where, where you just want to be upset or angry. And that does absolutely no good in the moment. And it has a long impact uh, if you'd say the wrong thing at the wrong time. 
So it sounds like what, going back to your point on, on explaining neutral, it sounds like neutral is a much more kind of logical uh, perspective uh, or, or way of reacting rather than um, maybe the, the first sort of uh, impulse kind of emotional based reaction. Is that kind of that's, a... That's, that's, it's, it's kind of a way station to get to that uh, uh, smarter uh, re, uh, re response. You know, I, I, I break it down into reaction being the little brain and response being the big brain. Response indicating that maybe you've given a little more thought about what you're going to say. And, and reaction where you're just impulsive and you just do it right away. You know, the little brain I, I label as, you know, something that it's careless, it's sarcastic, it's snarky. It's all the, all the things that, you know, we think are going to be funny or we think we have a right to say. Uh, and, and the big brain is, is instead it's going to be more nurturing and, and empathetic and really beginning to understand. And the idea is to break it down into something simple so that people that I'm training can understand it. You know, I'm going to make it accessible to them. Because in some ways, we all know this. We, this, is, you know, this is the, right? But sometimes the is hard to find. And in the pressure of the moment, when the pressure is on, when you, you get surprised or, or you get surp there's something happening that you weren't expecting, that pressure is when a lot of people drop into little brain and, and they say something they regret. Uh, you see it a lot of time in the news. Uh, uh, people apologizing all the time for something they said because of whatever state of mind they were in. But the idea is that even though we know this, we know, we know uh, academically and we know uh, really what we should be saying, in the pressure of the moment, we forget. And, and so the idea behind Big Brain, Little Brain was to give people a set of tools where it would help them remember what they needed to in the pressure of the moment so that they would be more in control of what they were gonna say, ultimately in control of the, the, the ripple effect that our words have and our responses have in different situations. And in the, the bio I was reading uh, regarding big brain, little brain, I was seeing that it, uh, it said that uh, big brain, little brain identifies the 21 tools your big brain can tap into for better communication, as well as the 14 avoidable traps that your little brain will constantly set for you. So can you, can you kind of uh, tell me about some of those tools? Uh, I guess, starting with some of the tools that, you can kind of use to tap into the big brain. And then also if we could talk about some of the, the avoidable traps that the little brain sets for us. Absolutely. Um, I break the book down into two parts. The first part of the book is basically the concept that we just talked about. The second half of the book is the seven different principles that I've broken things out in. So it would be easier to understand. And the first one is control. You know, we have control. There's, there's, then there's tone, there's words, there's time, responsible power and awareness all different arenas of, of communication. But in like in control, that's where neutral words come in. You can, if you can get your neutral words in time or you, you say a neutral word and it just it prevents you from saying something, new, that's definitely a tool. And the other one is, you know, uh, one of the tools there is slipping the punch where let's say you're in a, a situation where somebody's, it's a baseball game is a pretty, pretty good example. And, and you have, uh, fans screaming and yelling, you know, very emotional. Sometimes uh, um, alcohol has played a lot into that emotion at, at, at a baseball game. And you have people screaming and yelling and you're wearing uh, their, the opposing team's uniform or the hat or something. And they're screaming and yelling obscenities or whatever. You know, the idea is sometimes you just, it's it, in martial arts, I think there's a thing called slipping the punch. 
right? Which is your opponent's coming at you full force. You just step to the side and let them go by. So, and then you can rebalance yourself and decide how you're going to respond. It's the same thing with communication. If you have somebody saying something that's a, an affront or just, you know, and it's really not a, a, a full-on pre-planned debate or something, but if there's something on the street, somebody says something, let it go because it's, it's slipping the punch really helps you not jump into a lot of problems. You see it so much on the news media today with people in, in just everyday situations getting escalating into something bigger, and much bigger. And, and we look at this and we're like, oh my gosh, they were just talking. It was just in a restaurant. They were just at a train station. And all of a sudden it escalates and it, it, it starts with a conversation because if you don't have control of the conversation, I know that a conversation can escalate. And again, when you get instigated by a comment that somebody makes, the idea is, is it really worth fighting? Is it really worth the anger? Is it really worth the, the negative feedback? The other ones we have is a pair, uh, one of the um, tools is time parachutes. Again, these are the big, the big does, but it's really important to have. Uh, a time parachute is just, you're under pressure. Somebody's asking you something. Somebody... Um, blindsides you with a question uh, in the middle of, of, of a conference room and it, you, you feel like ambushed. So you just sometimes, and I give a couple different examples where you can just say, you know what, I'm gonna have to give that a little bit more thought. Now, some of these words are, I can do so quickly, but we all grow up with different communication skills. And in a lot of ways, if, if we have good communicators around us, we'll have these good communication skills. But a lot of people grow up in so many different areas and so many different uh, uh, backgrounds, not everybody has learned the, those, these simple little communication skills. So time parishes is one of them, where you just give yourself a little more time. Somebody's pressing you, you know what, let me think about that. Oh, I haven't thought about that. Let me, I'm going to ponder that a little bit more. Just giving yourself that extra little bit of time, again, it, it goes, plays into the neutral part of that. Then, you know, and the other one is, um, this is the big one, a big one, um, good gossip. We know what gossip does. We know what gossip kills the culture of an organization. You know, it's silent. It's like a silent cancer that begins to weave its way through the organization because it's a, r a rumor or something that starts. And you, and you know that eventually everybody's gonna hear it. So I had a, uh, some people working for me. I had a great chef and terrific manager. And all of a sudden they weren't getting along. They're not talking to each other. And I, you know, couldn't understand. And Patty, my partner uh, in, in, in the business with me, we've been together for over 30 years now. Um, and I, I said, I don't understand. They, 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 what happened? Couldn't get to the bottom of it. But it got, it, I, I began to understand that there, there was, they weren't communicating at all. And, and I didn't want to lose either one of them. So we called the manager into the uh, office and we talked to him. We said, okay, you got a meeting tomorrow. She's not going to be there. Your, your chef's not going to be there because she's got a family function. You're going to go through the meeting, and I want you to think of three things that she does incredibly well. He says, well, I can think of three things she doesn't. I said, yeah, I, I got that. Okay. Now, think of three things she does incredibly well. Okay, fine. Tomorrow, and when you do, do, finish all your key points of the meeting, your numbers, and at the end, I want you to, to highlight the three things that she does really well. So you know she's not here right now, but I just want to highlight three things. I have to be honest, because if it's not honest, it won't work. So he, he finishes the meeting, he goes, yeah, you know, she wanna say that, you know, she's always here on time. She's really good with the customers. They love her because she's been around a long time. And, and she's 
impeccably dressed. She's always in uniform like that. And that's how we ended the meeting. 24 hours later, 20, not even 24 hours later, he walks in the next morning and from a corner of the kitchen that he's not, doesn't usually go over to, he hears, good morning, Robert. And he turns around and says, good morning, how are you? So I'm fine. Listen, I, and, and it was just all of a sudden, whatever rumor had been out there, whatever division had had there, in 24 hours, she had heard that he said something nice about her when she wasn't there. And that was a strategic move from, uh, from a conversational standpoint where we realized, and I didn't even, with the potential of this, we realized that saying something nice behind somebody's back travels the same path as gossip. So we call that good gossip. And if you say something nice when somebody's not there, it, it does so many different things. Your entire team begins to trust you more because they're thinking, oh, he's saying something nice when somebody's not here. And you know, in management circles, when you're talking about different things, how many times you're dealing with an assistant manager or manager that has done just the opposite? And, and you're dealing with the consequences of that. So good gossip is one of those tools that we talk about. And I'll give a couple of stories in there about how it really plays out. And what you notice too is that it's all about trust when it comes to leadership. And if you can talk nice about somebody, even if they know you're not necessarily the best of friends, but you can say something nice about them, honestly, when they're not there, it sends a very big message that people can trust you. And, and it's turned out really, really well for us. Um, I don't know, I can go through a whole list here because there's, there's 21 of them, but uh, that's for the, the, the positive ones. The, the negative ones or the, the traps is tone in, es in, in, when you're in, in escalation. You know, conversations start, uh, I think confrontations start because the conversation's allowed to get out of control because it's not, uh, it's allowed to escalate. And the first thing, indicator is tone. You know that the, and one of the things that we talk about is that the tone is the message. Because even before we know what a word means with our parents, we know what their tone means. We know if they're afraid, we know if they're upset. Before we have any idea of the vocabulary, and we never lose that ability to separate the tone from the words. So, and the tone is an immediate indicator, and it's a good read of, of, of people and well, the frame of mind they're in, if it's an emotional frame of mind or whatever, we know by their tone kind of where they're at. So if, if you can read the tone and understand the tone, just don't let it escalate. But that's because that's a trap. And lots of times people try to outtone each other. You know, well, I got up to hear this level of, 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 of tone and you try to up that level of tone and it just it escalates everything into the wrong direction. Um, I think um, the other thing is. I think one of the things when it comes to time is ambushing people, uh, waiting until Friday afternoon at four o'clock and say, by the way, I need this on Monday, you know, or you know, just, you know, um, you're walking out the door in the morning uh, and, and all of a sudden you tell your kids or you tell your wife, oh, by the way, you know, and it's the, oh, by the way, and we're, we're not going there tonight, we're going here. That kind of ambushing creates a, a perfect scenario for a little brain to take over and, and create problems. So ambushing on time is critical. So you're planning things out and not waiting until the last minute to say something or do something or, or manipulate the, 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 the moment like that. Um, then uh, I think the, 
One of the other ones under awareness is assuming the negative. Lots of times when we don't have all the information, we assume. So if, if, if somebody says something or somebody does something, or if you get a text from somebody and you don't understand the, 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 the reason for the text or the, even the tone of the text, we assume. We automatically assume a tone for, for, that, for that text or for that email. And if you've ever gotten uh, a long-winded email from somebody where you go, what were they thinking? And you want to assume the negative that, oh, they were in this frame of mind. When you talk to them on the phone, it had nothing to do with that. Uh, I think um, uh, is it Keenan Peel had a really good show about the two guys texting each other back and forth and getting upset and angry with each other until they actually saw each other and realized it had nothing to do with their text. Their text is a... Text is not a good representation of communication. It's information, but it's not a great tool for communication in, in most arenas. Um, and uh, let's see, I'll leave you also with, um, um, I call them um, gossip bullies. Um, people that gossip about others. It, that's, a, that's a trap, you know? And from my perspective, it's, if you hear somebody gossiping about somebody else, the trap is to repeat what they said instead of ignore what they said. Don't pass on, don't give that rumor or gossip any more room to grow. And so what we can do is we can add is that filter where if somebody's gossiping, we're not repeating it. We're not gonna say what it is because it doesn't really serve the organization well. And with all this stuff, it really comes down to we're all in the same organization. We're all in the same uh, boat, so to speak. But it really comes down to understanding that whatever we say, everybody's eventually going to hear it. Everybody's going to hear everything. Now, I mean, if anything, the last decade has taught us is that no matter what you said, when you said it, it's going to be out there. And, and so in, in a company standpoint, uh, even in a family standpoint, you know that whatever, if you can control what you're saying, it doesn't mean you have to be thinking about it every second. You just have to learn these little techniques to sort of make sure you're, you're nudging yourself in the right direction. It's not a, uh, uh, and if you say something wrong, if you do an oops, I call it an oops, there's apologies, you know? I think people, I'm more comfortable if, 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 I, if I forget something, if I say something wrong or inappropriate, it's an apology. There's no, expiration date on an apology you know you can say that three years later five years later eight years later i've got brothers that you know they're apologizing to me for something when i was 10 right so you know it just there's no expiration date and yeah what's amazing is there's actually industries set up for the concept of apology right there's flowers there's greeting cards there's there's all these different industries set up and you have different signals of oh I, you know I'm, i shouldn't have said that i'm sorry and taking responsibility is what responsibility is one of the seven. It really gives people a chance to trust you more when you can take responsibility and if you need to apologize. So we identified different things throughout the book about uh, different techniques, different things you can use. Um, and it, it's, it's one of those things that uh, I've been taking notes for so many years. And at one point I just took over my entire living room, every square inch with three by five cards notes and started figuring out, okay, these are all my notes and what does it mean? And uh, eventually it turned into a book. Kevin, going back to one of, the, one of the things you had mentioned regarding tone, 
I want to ask you, so you kind of talked about um, in order for, for kind of a, a, a conflict to escalate, the tone, you know, keeps kind of the two people kind of escalate the tone. So I would assume kind of the, the counterbalance to that would be if you were in, uh, you know, a discussion, maybe it, it goes into an argument. But if you're able, I would assume if you're able to kind of maintain a level tone, despite while you're you're discussing kind of heated topics, does that kind of diffuse the situation or at least prevent it? Because um, if, if, you know, it seems like it, it takes two to tango in the sense of if the other person starts kind of raising their voice and, and yelling at you, but you just continue talking calmly, like they're, they're not going to be able to, if you're not like meeting them at that same energy level, it seems like they're going to kind of just diffuse, you know, naturally. You're absolutely right. And, and thank you for pointing that out because that's exactly what you need to do. If you don't follow them into little brain, if you don't follow them into that tone, then they will have to come back to your tone. And that's one of the things that we've done in their, in, in, um, in our business for so long, we had somebody come in to one of the restaurants, um, ordered some enchiladas with her friend, uh, and, um, delivered them about five minutes later to her. She comes back up to the counter, literally, uh, six or seven minutes later, slams them on the counter in the restaurant that only seats 50 people out as loud as could possibly be. These enchiladas are cold. Screaming them out. The tone was through the roof. And the manager, to his credit, um, looked at her and said, you know what? I am so sorry. I can't believe that happened. I'm going to go make you some uh, enchiladas I'm, myself. I'm going to bring them out. They're going to be great. You're going to love them. I'm so sorry. She goes and sits down make the enchiladas, brings them out. She comes back up five minutes later, slams them out again, pointing fingers, you made these enchiladas cold again. <clears throat> and realizing that it really wasn't the enchiladas. The manager was really sharp and he said, look, I can't apologize enough. Let me do something. Let me get you something else on the menu, anything at all you want, and it'll be on me as well as the enchiladas. Just want to make you happy today. Fine, fine, give me some of those taquito things. And he does. And about 10 minutes later, he looked over and she'd barely taken a bite of the taquitos. So he's getting worried, he's got a line to the door. All of a sudden he feels a hand on his arm. It's the lady. So he looks at him and he, she says, thank you. <laughs> and he looks at her and he goes, so you like the, the, the taquito? And she says, oh no, thank you for not being angry at me. I just came back from the hospital. My husband's not doing well. I haven't slept in days. I haven't eaten. I didn't mean to take it out on you. And, 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 I, and he said, she says, just thank you for handling it the way you did. And so they changed a uh, hug and pleasantries and, and she went off. Two people sitting really close to the counter came up to the manager afterwards and said, listen, we knew something wrong with her, but the way you handled that situation made us feel comfortable because he could use the right tone. He brought her back. He, he didn't escalate it. He didn't try to win the argument by showing her uh, a temperature gauge at the enchiladas were hot. He didn't try to win that argument. He was trying to win her back. And he did. And, and he also won the other customers there that were watching this whole thing happen. Your ability to maintain the right tone and, and to really, as you put it so well, keep that lower tone to kind of bring people back to your tone is critical. And it's so 
instrumental today because you see everybody feeling, oh, I'm, I'm triggered, so I, I have the right to say that. And it's really not true. I use the word activate uh, because activate means, yes, you might be a little upset, but you haven't said anything yet, or haven't done anything, which uh, I, I think triggers sometimes make people feel like, oh, I'm triggered, so I, I, you know, that's just the way it is. No, I think activate, you're still the responsibility in that moment to take charge and take control before you allow yourself to say something wrong or do something wrong. Kevin, how would uh, you, do you feel like it's uh, like, like the different sort of the, 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 I guess the different factors that sort of affect, you know, sort of the way we're able to show up and whether we kind of act more out of that big brain or little brain, like I would think, you know, sleep would be a big one, you know, as far as if, if someone is really sleep deprived, they're more likely to be kind of impulsive. Same with if, if someone's drinking. I mean, I, when, when I heard you describe little brain, the first thing that came to mind was someone intoxicated on alcohol, you know, is someone who just kind of blurts out whatever is on their mind. They're not really able to restrain, you know, what they're saying. So I, I would think there's some different, there's some different factors that would probably affect uh, you know, whether someone's able to, to act from, from their big brain or little brain. Yeah, you hit it right on the head so well. I mean, that's just perfect because one of the things we talk about at the very front of the book is influences and being under the influences, which is similar to alcohol in a way, but there are other influences. You hit a big one, and that is sleep. Sleep is, is, is a physiological thing. If you're injured, if you're hurt, if you've got a sore foot, if you're not feeling well, that's an influence. You know, not, maybe not as powerful as alcohol, but it's an influence. Uh, the other one is hunger. Hunger is an influence. You know, when people are hungry, people that, you know, um, the influence in their life, if they've got something going on at work where they're, somebody got through yelling at them, you know, because they didn't get a project done on time. Or at, at home, if somebody hasn't done their, their chores or, you know, I think in a lot of situations, money is a big stress point. So, so somebody has a lot of financial issues going on, they could actually be influenced by that. Maybe not to the same level as alcohol, because alcohol is certainly one of the key factors. And, you know, um, we moved eight times before I was 11. Uh, uh, five different houses, three different motels. Uh, we were always moving. My father was very good friends with uh, bottles of alcohol that had friendly names, but they weren't friendly names. And, and so I got very familiar with that concept and how it worked. Mostly I got familiar with moving around a lot to different places and realizing that I had to learn to read people before I could ever learn to read a book. And, and so that was maybe the original genesis of my observational ability because I was the youngest of five boys and then we had two girls. But the idea is, you know, anytime somebody is drinking, what's the first thing, how did, what's your first indicator? They start talking louder. They start talking louder and they, they, they can't hear as well and they get more animated. And, and so you, you can begin to see immediately. But those same influences or other influences in our life are very similar to alcohol. Alcohol maybe is a faster uh, indicator uh, and, and a faster channel to little brain because you, 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 I've seen so many different people in so many different situations go through this where they don't realize and, and I'm helping friends that have come out of um, alcohol addiction uh, and friends who have just stopped drinking because they realized it was just 
taking over their lives to some point. So some people have no problem, a couple drinks here, a couple drinks there. Not everybody the case and depends upon what's going on in their life. If they're using it as a crutch, if something else is pushing them into more than they normally would. But it obviously the physiological component uh, is there. But I try to keep everything in the book on the conversational level and the everyday communication level. I know there is deeper components of all of this that, that we can uh, go into. And, and I really think that it's, it's important that people, for the book, I want them to feel like it's easy access. It's simple. I try to make it as, as uh, I try to distill all the complicated uh, jargon down to simplicity so they could keep it, remember it, and use it right away. Because I know half this book really well. You know, uh, in the big brain, little brain, and I know half. So I'm working on the other half. I think we're all working on the other half. Awesome. Well, Kevin, what what sort of uh, projects uh, do you do you do you envision yourself writing more books or or working to sort of teach the concepts from this book in other ways or like kind of what's next for you? Thank you. Uh, I definitely am going to be writing more books, but more uh, specified venues like. Big Brain, Little Brain Retail, Big Brain, Little Brain Parenting, and Big Brain, Little Brain Youth Sports. Because if you want to see Little Brain in action, go to a youth sports game. And, and it won't be the kids. So, you know, there's so many different arenas where people need to identify some of the little traps that they're falling into and, and find out some of the different tools they can use in that particular arena, in that thing. And I'm also, you know, I work with another group where we're trying to, we're trying to get people to um, realize that it's not a person who's big brain or little brain. It's their words or their actions. So you, you can, no matter where somebody is on, on, on the spectrum of thinking or, or, or um, uh, wisdom, it, I, I think you, no matter where they are, they can grow and they can evolve and they can come back. So to me, it's, it's really about that growth potential that everybody has. Nobody is big brain, nobody is little brain. Uh, some of our actions, some of our words, but we all have a chance to grow. We all have a chance to, participate in the growth of all this. And I think that getting people to listen and getting people to uh, be more uh, friendly in their own communication, their own lives is just the beginning of that. Awesome. Well, Kevin, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. I really enjoyed talking about all these different concepts. If uh, the listeners want to find out more about your work or, or connect with you, where would you direct them to? Uh, go to bigbrainlittlebrain.com. Uh, there's an email there. If you want to email me directly, I'll, I, I respond to my emails personally. Uh, and I, I appreciate it. If there's any comments people have to make, you know, when they're reading the book, you know, send me the comments. You know, one of the things that I'm going to be asking people for is we all have our own neutral words already. So we don't always look at them as a tool, but I'm asking people in the starting, send me your neutral words. Let's put a, a list of neutral words together, make it easier for people to find these. So that's the fun part. If you want to go there and do that, have fun. And I can't thank you enough, Toby, because this is such an intelligent podcast with you that it's just, it's, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for your kind words. Absolutely. One quick question that just came to mind when you're talking about neutral words, you know, in, in terms of uh, communication, like how much would you say, uh, you know, words come into play versus the tone that you say those words in when it comes to, you know, being able to act from the little brain versus big brain? I, I think the tone is, 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 is so powerful. I think having the words and even one of the things I talk about is practicing your, your neutral words in front of a mirror, practicing that tone so that you can get used to saying it like that. 
So you can use to saying, you know, okay, or I'm, ah, I see that, or wow, I had no idea. You practice it in a genuine way to where it sounds so natural when you say it. Because if you can practice those words, uh, then the tone and the words come together. And, and, and that will, that coming together will really help. But uh, to your point, tone is probably the, the most significant, you know, and I, I still believe the tone is the message. It's the beginning component of people understanding what that moment is all about. Great, great. Well, for those listeners who enjoyed the show, go ahead and like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, where Roscoe's Wetsuit. You can also find audio versions of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro Podcast available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else that audio podcasts are available. Kevin, again, I wanted to really thank you for your time today. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Toby, thank you so much. What a great conversation.